Good morning again, everybody. Tell you what, I hope you guys had a great Easter last weekend. We had fun, if, whether you were here with us or, or whether you were visiting family somewhere else. Uh, it was a great Sunday here at Cedar Home, and we had a great time celebrating Jesus' resurrection together and had five baptisms, and it was just a joyful day. So um, we read the beginning of the Disciple John's eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection last week. And John said that uh, one of Jesus' followers named Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early on that Sunday morning to finish the burial preparations for Jesus' dead body. Uh, but when she got to the tomb, the stone from the tomb was rolled away, and Jesus' body wasn't in there. And she was not excited about this. It says that she was devastated because she assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen. And neither she nor the disciples understood at that point that Jesus would literally rise from the dead. And so Mary ran to the place where the disciples were staying in Jerusalem, and she told them about the empty tomb and says that most of them did not believe her. But two of the disciples, John and Peter, they ran to the tomb, and they went inside it, and they found Jesus' burial linen still lying there. And next to the linens was this face cloth that had covered Jesus' face, and it was folded up nicely and put to the side. And John writes that uh, it was at that point that everything clicked for him, basically, and he believed that Jesus really rose from the dead. And so then John and Peter ran back to tell the other disciples while Mary Magdalene came back to the tomb, and as she stood outside the tomb, she was weeping, and she was weeping and weeping, but as Mary stooped down to look into the tomb, she saw something different than she saw last time. She saw two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been, and one was sitting at the head, one was sitting at the foot of, of uh, where his body had been laid, and the two angels looked at her and asked her, why are you weeping? And then right after that, Mary heard a man behind her ask, woman, why are you weeping? And she started explaining how terrible it was that Jesus' body had disappeared when suddenly this man stopped her and called her by her name and said, Mary. And Mary immediately recognized that voice, and she knew it was Jesus, and she just says, teacher. And when she saw her resurrected Lord, her sorrow turned into joy. And she wanted to hug him and cling to him, it says. And she didn't ever want to let him go. But Jesus said, you can't cling to me. I still have to ascend to the Father in heaven. So go tell the disciples that you've seen me and that I'm back from the dead. And that was the first of many times that Jesus would appear in his resurrected body to his followers and one of several times on that exact day that he would make appearances. Luke writes that a couple hours after he appeared to Mary Magdalene, Jesus appeared to a couple of his followers on the road to this town called Emmaus. And Jesus walked with them the whole way there. And as they were walking, they didn't know that they were talking to Jesus. It says that he hid himself from them, his identity from them in some way. But it says that uh, Jesus explained to them how all of the Bible, from the first page to the last, points to Jesus as God and to our need for him to 
rescue us from our sin and from the hostility that we have toward God, and we need Jesus to rescue us into a friendship with God. And then it says Jesus vanished from their sight. And later that same night, Jesus would appear back in Jerusalem to his disciples who had locked themselves inside a room because they were afraid of the Jews. And that's the passage we're going to camp out on today in John 20, verses 19 to 23. So uh, before we read this, let's, let's ask our resurrected Lord Jesus to help us. Dear Lord, we, uh, we are so thankful that you are alive, and we call on you now, and we ask for your help. We're thankful that we get to read your word together today. Please take this word, your word, and teach our hearts Teach us not just Bible facts, because even people who don't love you can know a lot about the Bible. But we ask that you would use your word to teach us spiritually. That you would use your word by the power of your spirit to transform us, to change us, to make us more holy into people who, who see you more clearly and who trust you and who love you more today than we did yesterday. Lord, fill us with your love, fill us with your truth, fill us with your Holy Spirit uh, to the point where we are overflowing with you and we can joyfully proclaim your good news to all the people in our lives. And God, we ask now that you would please keep Satan and his demons away from us. Would you please overpower our hard hearts and our closed minds and our spiritually blind eyes and give us sight today, Lord. Glorify your name in our presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's word. So it was, it was Sunday evening on that same day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we read that the disciples here were hiding away in this room in Jerusalem. They'd locked all the doors so that nobody could get in because it says in verse 19, they were scared of the Jews. So remember that the Jewish leaders were the ones who demanded that the Romans crucify Jesus and the Jews got their way. And so uh, if they could do that to Jesus, then it would not be very hard at this point to pick off Jesus' followers too and have them killed too. But the disciples did not want to suffer and die for Jesus, and so they hid themselves. And remember that uh, this happened right at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jerusalem. And so there were lots and lots of Jews just outside the disciples' room Maybe it was a house, we don't know exactly, but just outside in the streets, 
Lots of Jewish people celebrating and feasting together. And so it's, it's kind of ironic here that uh, while all these festivities were happening outside, the disciples were sitting inside, paralyzed in fear. But the disciples were the ones who had a much greater reason to celebrate. And all of a sudden, Jesus was in the room. And he stood among them. Jesus came to them inside their securely locked room, and he stood among them, okay? The same Jesus, who just a few days earlier had been bent over in agony from the terrible flogging he had endured, the same Jesus who had stumbled through Jerusalem as he carried his own cross on his back, the same Jesus who was tortured on the cross, who was wrapped in burial linens, who was laid in a tomb, this Jesus now stood up among them. But nobody could, nobody could do that. Nobody could stand up after all that trauma they had suffered. But here he was. And he was inside their panic room, essentially. And John tells us two times in this chapter that the doors to the room were locked. He wants us to know that. And so he's emphasizing the fact that just as Jesus' resurrected body supernaturally escaped the burial linens, so also Jesus' resurrected body supernaturally entered that place where they were. Jesus was, was showing that he is God. Okay? He was showing that he has authority in heaven and on earth. He's able to go wherever he wants to go, physically and spiritually, even where people try to keep him out. If Jesus wants to be with you, you are unable to keep him out of your life. Even when you resist him, when you try to lock all the doors of your heart to keep him out, his power and his love and grace are greater than your resistance to him. Praise God for that. <laughs> and when the disciples saw Jesus standing among them, Luke says that... Uh, they were startled and frightened, and they thought that they saw a spirit. So as if they weren't scared enough, and, and they were already walking on eggshells, now they're freaking out because they think they got a ghost in the room. And this was just like that time they were trying to cross the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, and they got stuck in that terrible storm, and out in the middle of the sea, it was nighttime, they couldn't see anything, the wind was battering them, and then all of a sudden they see a ghost walking on the water to them, and they were scared to death then too. But then they heard the voice of their master, and they realized it wasn't a ghost, it was Jesus. And just like he did on that stormy night, Jesus tells them now, peace be with you. And what Jesus says to them doesn't really register to them at first because their minds are blown by what is going on here, okay? They're thinking to themselves, okay, this is not a ghost. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. What, what's he going to do to us? He's going to kill us. Is he going to kill us? I mean, while we, while he, while he was sweating blood in the garden and while he was praying to the Father in the garden and he asked us to pray with him, we fell asleep. Well, he was arrested by the Romans in the garden. We took off. 
When strangers asked us if we knew him, we denied ever knowing him. When Jesus carried his cross on his back through Jerusalem, we weren't at his side. We didn't offer to carry his, back, his, uh, his cross on our backs. When Jesus was nailed to that cross, we did not offer ourselves to be a substitute for him. He offered himself to be a substitute for us. When he died on that cross, most of us weren't even at his side. And now he's back from the dead. What's he going to do to us? So the disciples had every reason in the world to be scared of Jesus and what he would do to them. But it says that instead of slaughtering them, instead of shaming them even, Jesus does something different. He tells them, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. The scars on his hands and the scars on his side. He shows them these scars that he earned to purchase them peace with God. And then he tells, says it again. He says, peace be with you. Jesus didn't come to kill them. Jesus came to tell them that he accomplished peace for them. In this passage, uh, we see three steps of how Jesus makes and sends out joyful Christians. Okay. First, Jesus disables our fears by proving with his scars that he bought us God's peace. Okay. Jesus disables our fears by proving with his scars that he bought us God's peace. The disciples were fearful of the Jews. They were fearful of suffering and death. They were fearful of Jesus' ghostly appearance. They were fearful that Jesus had come back to punish them. And Jesus disabled all of this. He disabled all of their fears for them by verbally proclaiming to them a blessing of peace and then by showing them the scars that he earned on their behalf. Remember that Jesus did not come to earth to fulfill all righteousness and to suffer and die on your behalf and then rise from the dead and show his scars to you because you have been a good person or because you have obeyed God the way uh, that he deserves to be obeyed or because you have loved Jesus the way that he deserves to be loved by you. Jesus came, fulfilled all righteousness, suffered, died, rose again, and he shows you his scars because he loved you before you ever loved him. His scars didn't make him love you. His scars are, are the proof that he does love you and that he wants to be with you forever. And just like the disciples, you have fears too, and I do too. You have fears about all sorts of things, big things, small things, Long-term fears, short-term fears, fears about physical things, fears about spiritual things. And here is how Jesus responds to you in the middle of your fear. He says, peace be with you, Cindy. Peace be with you, Lane. Peace be with you, Mark. And then Jesus shows you his scars to prove to you that his words, these aren't just mere empty words that he tells you to make you feel better. Jesus' scars speak for themselves. They tell you Jesus really is God. He really did become our sin on the cross. 
He really did put my sin to death. He really did conquer the power of Satan and hell and, and death for me. He conquered the power of fear in my life for me. And he really did rise in victory. And through faith in him, you now have victory over all these things too. His victory is your victory. That's the message of the gospel. And the rest of your life on earth, you can claim victory over all of your fears as you put your faith in Jesus who purchased you freedom from those fears when he was wounded and killed on the cross. And when you go to heaven and when you see Jesus' scars on his hands and on his side for yourself, those scars will preach to you for all eternity that he has finished your salvation and that you belong to him forever. He doesn't have to say a word. You just look at the scars. And he promises, with him, you will live in peace for eternity. The peace that Jesus offers you, let's talk about what that is. What, what does that mean? Well, the peace is from God, and this peace is peace with God, and this peace is the peace of God. It's from God, it's with God, and it's of God. So first, Jesus' peace is from God. That means that the peace he offers to us comes from within himself. Ephesians 2.17 says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace who came and preached peace to you who were far off, and he preached peace to those who were near. What did he preach? Peace. He came to give you supernatural, spiritual peace. And this is why the Apostle Paul begins every one of his letters saying, Peace from God to you. This isn't just a blessing that he's telling you. It is a blessing. But as one of the authors of God's holy word, Paul is declaring, God offers you peace that is in him and comes from him. Peace to you from God. And the peace uh, that Jesus offers to you is also peace with God. Scripture testifies that uh, if we are apart from Jesus, there is then hostility between us and God. And we make ourselves enemies of his. Okay? But through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus killed the sin that is creating the hostility between us and God. And if we trust in Jesus then to bring us to God, if we trust in Jesus to be our mediator, then he will because he has purchased us peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, it means since God has declared you not guilty in his court because he has credited you with the righteousness of Jesus and taken away all your sins, because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through faith in Jesus you and I can have peace with God. And there is no other way. Because there's only one Jesus. There's only one God. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how deserving we think we are. The only way to be at peace with the one holy God of the universe is by putting our faith in his one and holy 
uh, only Holy Son Jesus, who died and rose again to give us peace with God. Do you have peace with God today? It's an important question for you to ask. Wherever you're at in your journey, in your, in your life, have you believed that? Have you believed any of this? Have you believed Jesus is God? Have you declared Jesus uh, in your heart that 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 man? I believe this. I believe He died for my sins. That He rose again, and that I need Him, and that I trust Him to be my Savior, and I want to follow Him. I don't want just to get what He gives me. I want to. I want Him. I want Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. It's not how you're saved. You're saved through faith alone. But an evidence of saving faith is <laughs> this God is awesome. And I want to know him. And I want to I want to be his hands and feet to this world. And the peace that Jesus offers you is not only peace from God, it's not only peace with God, but it's also the peace of God. That means that Jesus' peace isn't just this one-time gift to you. It is a daily, hourly, ever-present gift that will last forever, he says, and that never depreciates in power or quality. This is the peace that the Holy Spirit administers to us. This is the peace that he uh, reminds us of and that he... Uh, appropriates to us when we read scripture. This is the peace that confronts and eclipses all of our fears and worries and stresses. Because when our fears get in our face and scare us to death, when we allow ourselves to be scared of worries and what ifs and fears, what do we have to do? We have to look at the scars of Jesus and remember that his peace really has eclipsed all of our fears and the power that our fear used to have over us. Jesus' scars are greater than our fears. And it's finished. It's not a work to be done. It's done. Second Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> I, I want to met that's a memory verse right there. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Christians, the peace of God is only for you. The peace of God comes from God because you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Until a person has peace with God through Jesus, he or she does not have the peace of God available to Im abide inside himself or herself. This is the peace that the non-believer rejects. And so, Christians, do we believe that the God who gives us peace with himself is the same God who abides in us and who gives us the blessing of his peace at all times and in every way. That's one to hold on to. That's a promise to hold on to. And if you doubt, man, I don't know if this one applies for me or if this is real because my emotions don't feel like it's real, you need something concrete to look to 
look to the scars on Jesus' hands and in his side. And remember, that, that, that's for me. Listen to the scars as they preach to you the love of God and the gospel work of Jesus Christ. John 20, 19 to 23 here shows us three steps I said about how Jesus makes and sends joyful disciples. So first I said Jesus disables our fears by proving with his scars that he bought us God's peace, okay? Second, when we trust that Jesus purchased us God's peace, our fear turns into joy. When we trust this, when we trust that Jesus purchases God's peace, our fear turns into joy. So when the disciples saw Jesus standing there, when he showed them the scars in his hands and in his side, their fear, it says, turned into gladness and joy because they knew that this was a real peace. This, this was a real Messiah. Their peace was real because Jesus was really alive. John 20, 20 says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were what? Glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples weren't scared anymore. Think about this. They were freaking out just a minute ago. And all of a sudden, they're glad. Jesus turned their mourning into gladness. Jesus turned their fears into joy. And this happened just the way that Jesus had said it would. Remember only a few days later when, or before, uh, when Jesus was eating the Last Supper with his disciples, uh, they were sorrowful because he was leaving them. Jesus said, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Isn't that awesome? Jesus says the power of his death and resurrection, which, are, which is evidenced by the scars on his living, breathing, resurrection body invites you to enjoy the peace of God that disables all your fears. And when you trust that Jesus has really defeated your enemies and your fears, then those old fears are now cause for you to have great joy. Because those fears aren't what you actually thought they were. They don't have eternal power over you anymore. Because Jesus and the peace of Jesus is the one who has power over you now. He's the one who has the eternal power over you. When you believe that, you rejoice. I mean, how can't we rejoice, you guys, when we trust that now we are found in Christ, and now this is not just wishful thinking, this is we get to experience the peace of God with God now and forever. Is that cause to rejoice? Yes. Right? I've heard joy. I like this description of joy. It's called peace dancing in the heart. Joy is peace dancing in the heart. Don't you want that to describe your heart? Man, I want to have peace dancing in my heart. And I know that Jesus died and rose to give me that. And now every day, I need to keep repenting from my doubt and repenting from my fear. And you know, when you're in bed, and all of a sudden, at least for me, 
my mind can get worried about 10 things before I've even hit the floor. I need to keep turning from that and turning to Jesus and to his scars, his resurrection scars, because he earned peace for me, and those scars remind me that he purchased joy for me. And what an incredible God we have. Listen to this. Listen to God tell us in his word about the peace and joy that he purchased for us and that he applies to us when we trust in Jesus. It's a familiar passage probably to some of you, but maybe some of you haven't heard it. Romans 8, 28 to 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) That's amazing. God wants us to rejoice this way. He wants us to celebrate his love that gives us real peace. Philippians 4.4, this is why Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the Lord. And we rejoice in his great love for us that gives us peace. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy in the Lord is our strength. Christian, how often do you rejoice in the Lord's love for you and in the Lord's love for his church? How often do you rejoice in the peace that he gives to you with his scarred hands? This joy runs deeper than your emotions. You're going to have good days, and you're going to have bad days. And you're going to have happy seasons, and you're going to have sorrowful seasons of life. But Jesus' joy goes deeper. It goes deeper than those things, because his joy doesn't depend on how you feel or on what is happening in your life. Joy in God rejoices in and celebrates the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of his resurrection, the finished work of his purchasing you peace because of the love of God and for the glory of God. That's what we celebrate. That's 
what we rejoice in. And rejoicing in the Lord is a gift from God. And so ask him for more joy. Pray for more joy. Ask him to help you be at peace by this real active power of the Holy Spirit of peace. And when you enjoy the Lord, I don't know if you've ever had that, man. I do, I wouldn't consider myself a super emotionalistic, super charismatic type guy. But if you've ever had the Holy Spirit move when you're reading scripture or when you're by yourself or when you were hurting or when you're worshiping in your car and you didn't expect it, or maybe you did, it's incredible. And when that happens, because it's like, you know this piece here, right? But how do I believe it here and how do I let it change? It's amazing how God works. It's called his sovereign spirit. The wind blows where it will. He's always with us. He's always in us. But somehow he manifests himself differently in us at different times and places. And, and I don't, man, I just want more of that. <laughs> I want more of that peace. I'm so thankful. This week I just experienced it. I had a good elder meeting. And then after that, I had peace like for a day. And it was awesome. It was so cool. And I want more of that. Because that makes me joyful. And when you enjoy the Lord, what do we do with that? We give it back to Him. We respond back to Him. We praise Him with our words and with our songs. And I say, God, I want to write songs for you. <laughs> I want to make art for you. I want to write blogs about you. I want to be an awesome carpenter for the glory of God. I want to be a plumber, God, who loves people like you love people. I want to build airplanes in a way that glorifies you and in a way that, man, if, if, there was a, if there was Jesus here on my crew, I want to be, be like him to people. I want to worship God with my wallet. I want to love others with the love of God. And praise God that he has called us to this life of joy and he's called us to this eternity of joy in them. That's what the Christian has coming. More joy. <laughs> so thankful. So first, Jesus disables our fears by proving with his scars that he bought us God's peace. And second, when we trust that Jesus did this, when we trust that Jesus purchased us God's peace, our fear turns into joy. And third, our joy in Jesus propels us outwardly to tell the world what Jesus has done for us. So you get the line of thinking here? Jesus earns the peace. We trust in the peace. We have joy. The joy fills us and overflows, and we go to the world with the joy of Christ and the gospel. Okay? In John 20, uh, 21 to 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus says that God the Father sent Jesus to the world. What did Jesus say? I came to seek and save the lost, right? That's what Jesus came to do. And here Jesus tells the disciples and all of us that just as the Father sent me to the world to seek and save the lost, 
Now I am sending you, Christians, to the world to seek out the lost and to tell them that they can be saved by Jesus Christ. They can have peace with God. They can enjoy the peace of God now and forever through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's sending us to do. And so as the Lord fills us um, with his peace and with his joy, it's going to be hard for us to stay quiet about Jesus. It's just going to come out in all sorts of ways. And I don't mean you have to be the most extroverted, over-the-top person ever. That's not what I'm talking about. But man, how can't you, if Jesus fills you, how can't you overflow? How can't he come out of you? And a big part of this, I think, is because God created us to experience joy, and he created us to call other people to enjoy what we enjoy. Okay? When I take my five-year-old daughter and my three-year-old son to the park, they love to swing on the swings because it makes them so happy. But they're not content with merely swinging on the swings and laughing and screaming. They want me to watch them swinging on the swings. Dad, watch. Dad, watch. They love swinging on the swings, and they want me to love what they love. And it's just like the way that the joy of Jesus propels us to tell other people about Jesus. The more amazed I am by Jesus, the more that I've experienced his power in my life, the more that I uh, realize and experience his peace, the more that I want to tell other people about it and then give glory to God for it. What do we do when our favorite athlete or sports team does something incredible? We tell people about it, right? If it's really incredible, we get on the phone right then and say, did you see that? Were you watching that? And we talk about it to our families. We talk about it at work. We talk about it on Facebook. And what do we do on Facebook? We share it, right? Because we want other people to enjoy what we are enjoying. And when, by God's grace, the love and grace and peace of Jesus is at the center of our thoughts and attention, it's hard not to talk about him, not to think about him, not to show him, regardless of who we're with. Because when God overwhelms you with his peace and with his presence while you're reading your Bible or singing his praises, you tell people about it. When you hear testimonies, when you hear people share testimonies of how Jesus has freed them from addictions and pain and brokenness, I don't know about you, but I have to say, praise God. I can't keep that in. Like, praise God. God is awesome. When you believe that your life on earth is temporary, when you believe that Jesus really has saved you into an eternity of pleasure with himself, then it totally changes you. It totally changes your worldview, your perspective on life. It changes how you want to invest and spend your money. It changes what kind of life you want to live. Because now you want to invest your things into things that will have an eternal impact. Not things that will be here today and gone tomorrow. You want to make sacrifices that will impact the eternities of people. And advance the kingdom of God and advance the glory of his name. Man, if I could use my money not just to make a temporary impact on me and my family. Or not just to make me happy for 10 minutes. But if I could use my money to change the eternity of people. That's what I want to do. Especially if if that's going to glorify Jesus. 
And this is why we are raising money to build this solar-powered well in Swaziland. But while, at the same time, we're trying to finish this building, right? Which is going to cost us tens and tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars more, right? Because Cedar Home, this is the reality, Cedar Home is going to be just fine with the building that we have and with the food that we have and with the water that we have. But meanwhile, we have brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews in Christ in Swaziland today who are dying because they don't have clean water to drink, and that's not okay. This is our family. That's why Paul says we resolve to send relief to the brothers. We need to send relief to the brothers. We've got to make some sacrifices individually and as a church to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when God gets a hold of you, what a joy it is to do this and not a burden at all. God's going to use me and the resources he's given me to make an eternal impact in other people's lives. Who am I? And that's the wrong question. The question is, how awesome is God? Who is God <laughs> that he would work in my life? And this kind of joy-filled, sacrificial living that seeks to celebrate and glorify Jesus is what happens to us when we trust him and, and in what he's done for us. And at the same time, this is the kind of outward-focused, can't-keep-quiet-about-Jesus life that Jesus commands us to live in this passage. Because there are lots and lots of more fearful and more hurting people out there at your workplace, in your neighborhood, all along the I-5 corridor, on the internet, to the ends of the earth, hurting people who Jesus wants to give his peace to. And there are lots and lots more people who are in a hostile relationship with God, and Jesus wants them to know that he lived and died and rose again to put an end to the, hospi the hostility between them and God. And we're the game plan for that. We are, the church is the game plan to share Jesus and his word, his gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, to love others as we do that. And as we live lives that uh, enjoy Jesus and all of his benefits, we remember that Jesus told us in Scripture that the Holy Spirit will work through us as we do that, as we share Jesus with others. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, but when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So as we bear witness, the Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit's not dependent on us, but it is the way that God has ordained the gospel to go forth through the church. And so the hope that, that we have for impacting others, I want you to hear this one. The hope that we have for impacting others with the gospel of Jesus is not in the power of our words, and it's not in the in power of our wisdom. Our hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts and lives as we tell people what Jesus has done for us. You hear that? The hope's not in, this, in us. It's so funny, I... Had, <laughs> I had somebody, this it seems like every, once, about once a year, right before Easter, somebody says, aren't you nervous about Easter? I'm like, well, I wasn't until you brought it up. <clears throat> but 
you know, this is the Super Bowl of the, of the, uh, of, for pastors. And I'm like, you know what? This is the truth. And this is where my theology really has sh- changed me and shaped the way that I preach and approach every evangelistic conversation. If I thought the deciding factor was my performance and my words, I would be scared to death and nervous. And I probably would not step on the stage. But my hope is not in my wisdom. My hope is in the power of God to work as the gospel is preached. And that goes for all of us. That's all we have to do. We don't even have to make up a message. We just tell people, we just point to the Bible and tell people what God says and be loving to them and kind to them, pray for them, and trust in the Holy Spirit to work. That's where the power is. totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to fill us with joy, to fill us with courage and peace, uh, to fill us with the boldness that we need to share the gospel with others. Uh, We're we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to live joyful, self-sacrificial lives that witness to the non-Christians around us. Unless the Holy Spirit works, people will not be born again. You cannot make people born again. I cannot. I don't care if you're Arminian, Calvinist, I don't care. You can't make people born again. God does. John 20, 22 says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit had already been working in the lives of the disciples. But it appears here that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit onto them to give them a foretaste of the power that the, of the Spirit that the church would later receive fully at Pentecost. And in verse 23, Jesus tells them, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So, as we share the gospel with others, we share the message that they can be forgiven by God through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If people reject Jesus, then God withholds forgiveness from them because they're saying they don't want the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so in the context of this verse 23, Jesus is saying that as you preach the gospel, as you share the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit that makes people born again, um, then when those people confess faith in Christ, you can trust that God has truly forgiven those people and the evidence of their salvation will be repentance from sin and ongoing sanctification, okay? And at the same time, as we preach the gospel, and as people don't believe it, or not yet, then God's forgiveness is withheld from them until they repent and believe. That's what it means. There are other weird takes on this verse that I'm not going to get into, but God is the one who forgives, and God is the one who has made forgiveness available to us through Jesus Christ. And so it's real simple. Either... We accept Jesus and his offer of his forgiveness and we're forgiven. Or we reject Jesus and his forgiveness and we're not forgiven. And, and as we do this, though, we can rejoice in the Lord that, that God is at work no matter how people respond to us. No matter what evidence we see that people are saved, no matter how they respond to the gospel. Because Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So, so may the love of Jesus, the peace of the Lord, the joy of the Lord abound in us, overflow out of us as we tell the world about him. And trust that God's going to do what he wants to do with his gospel. So first in this passage, Jesus disables our fears by showing us his scars, which prove that he bought us God's peace. And second, when we trust this, trust the scars and that Jesus purchased us God's peace, our fear turns into joy. And third, our joy then propels us outwardly to tell the world what Jesus has done for us. So may you know by faith the peace of God in your hearts. And may that peace fill you with joy in the Lord. And may the joy of the Lord propel all of us to tell the world what an awesome God we have. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this passage. We want more of you, Lord. We know that your work is finished, that your Holy Spirit is in us. We, we just ask, Lord, that you would manifest yourself to us more and more, that we would do our part, God, of, of seeking you, of keeping our eyes on you. And, and we thank you, God, that um, your love for us, your presence with us isn't even dependent on our faithfulness to you. Um, but, it's, but you're faithful because you're faithful. And please forgive us, God, when we have turned from you, when we have trusted our fears and not your voice of truth. And please orient our hearts and our minds to you, God, and to your scars and to the joy that that brings us, God, that you weren't just scarred and stayed dead. You were scarred and rose from the dead, and your scars preached to us your victory and our victory with you now and for all eternity. May that joy fill us, God, with real joy as we, as we claim that for ourselves individually, as we claim that as a church and go forth and tell the world about you. May we do that with truth and with love. God. We trust you and your sovereign spirit to work how you want, Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.